Well, thank you for your hearty fellowship. As we gather around God's Word here in Galatians 3, and this passage is labeled the purpose of the law, and we're going to study the law today in God's Word, let's look at a law from American history. Think back in American history. There was a law passed by Congress by overwhelming majority. 36 of the 48 states ratified it. The date was January 17, 1920, when the law went into effect, but it was later repealed. The 18th Amendment. What was that? Prohibition. At that time, a vast majority of people in our country agreed to the prohibition of alcoholic beverages in the United States by declaring the production, transport, and sale of alcohol is illegal. Organized crime received a major boost from prohibition, and many people died from home-brewed alcohol before it ended. And over time, the truth came out that it was estimated 80% of the members of Congress who voted for this continued to drink, even though they were the ones passing the dry laws. And it became obvious that even though the, most people considered it a good idea, the law did not change the behavior of the citizens of our country or the government officials. A law did not and could not change man's desires, so it was repealed by the 21st Amendment in December of 1933. We jump into the middle of Galatians chapter 3, and up to this point, Paul has been showing that salvation is by grace and not by the keeping of the law. In the first two chapters, he brought personally by his life, which chapter 2 ends with a tremendous statement, two verses that end chapter 2 of Galatians that I hope all of you have memorized, that goes like this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ died in vain. And then second, here in chapter 3, the first 18 verses, Paul is showing that salvation is through faith in Christ by God's promises. And prior to this passage we're going to look at in verses... Uh, Galatians 3, 16 through 18, tell us that God made promises to Abraham. Look at verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And verse 18, for if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. So I want to refresh our memories on what we studied in Genesis. If you go back to Genesis 15, 1. Think of the promises that God made to Abraham. Fear not, Abraham. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And then in Genesis 15, 17, you remember Abraham went into a deep sleep. The cow was divided in two. And a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between the two pieces of the cow. And God's promise was from himself without any action by Abraham. God's promises were made by God himself and received by faith 
without Abraham's works. Now, I want to read to you a couple verses in Genesis 17, the first eight verses. And I want you to count how many times God says, I will. Count how many times God says, I will. And when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am the Lord, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. I will make my covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful. And I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations, for an everlasting covenant. I will be a God, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed forever. And I will give to thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, in the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. I counted seven times there. God is saying to Abraham, I will do these things. And then 430 years later, after these promises to Abraham, we have the exodus from Egypt. And God gives the Israelites the law. Now look at the law that God gave to Moses. And how many times is faith and promise mentioned? In Exodus 19 verse 4 ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles wings and brought you unto myself now if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my commandment then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation these are the words that thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all the words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered them and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And God gave them the law and says, You shall, thou shalt, thou shalt not. And the people said, We will obey. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord. And the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord hath said, we will do. And in Exodus 24, 7, he took the book of the covenant and read it in the audience of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. And the sprinkling of this blood on the people was symbolic of Christ's blood fulfilling the law in them. In Exodus 20, seven of the Ten Commandments start with, Thou shalt not. And the conclusion is, if you don't obey, you'll regret it. Thou shalt not, or else. And it's a big contrast to the promises that God made to Abraham. The promises to Abraham were put forth by faith. 
in God's promises. And the law was given to Moses, set forth the requirements of our works. The promise talked about God's plan, God's grace, God's initiative, God's sovereignty, God's blessing, and God's promises. The law talked about man's duty, man's works, man's responsibility, man's behavior, man's obedience, and man's punishment. The promise which stood for grace had to be believed. The law which stood for works had to be obeyed. Two completely different things. But is the law more important because it came after the promises? What was the purpose of the law? And God has shown that salvation did not come by the law. He comes to a question that will be our focus today in verse 19. Why then did God give us the law? If the law cannot save us, why was it given? Romans 7.12 The law is holy. The commandment is holy and just and good. So if the law is holy and just and good, what is the law good for? Why do we have it? Why did God give it? And that's the question today that is going to be answered. So with that as way of introduction, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your scripture today. Here in Galatians, thank you for the promises that you have granted us, for the law you have given us, for your word that explains it to us, and grant us to understand what you have done for us. Open your word to us and come and meet with us today. In Christ's name, amen. So we're going to start here in Galatians three nineteen through 25. And Paul's going to give us three purposes for the law. And let's read that beginning in verse 19. Wherefore then serves the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily, righteousness should have come by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise of faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterward be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. The first purpose of the law is given to us here in verse 19. The law reveals sin. Sin existed before the law, but sin was not understood as a transgression until the law was given. Verse 19, the law was added. God picked up Israel out of Egypt on eagle's wings by grace and not by the law. And the law was given to warn them, to protect them, to restrain them, and to guard them until Jesus would come. As Romans 4.13 says, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For where no law is, there is no transgression. The law was added. 
it was added because of transgressions until Christ. The law was temporary until Christ. The law could not, cannot give life. If the law cannot give life, then the law cannot sustain life. And if it cannot, if I cannot receive life by the law, then I cannot develop life by the law. So I brought a mirror. If I pick up a mirror and look in a mirror, or we look in a mirror, this mirror doesn't make me ugly. Looking in a mirror already only shows me what everybody else already knows, that I am a sinner. The mirror is a reflection of my sin. And it shows me I'm a sinner. And the law shows each of us what everyone else already knows about each of us. That all of us are sinners. Romans 3.19 Now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. It says that the law was given to us by the angels. And apparently, the law was given from God to angels who gave it to Moses. And there's two other passages that confirm this thought in Acts 7.53 who received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it and Hebrews 2.2 for if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward so the law was given to Moses by a mediator but that is not true of our salvation Salvation was not given to us by a mediator. The gospel has come directly to us through the person of Jesus Christ. The first purpose of the law was to reveal to me that I am a sinner. The second purpose of the law is given to us in verses 22 and 23. The law restrains sin. Not only reveals sin, but it also restrains sin. The law is like a jailer that keeps confining and restricting until there's only one way out by faith. So look at verse 22. In the King James, it says, The scripture hath concluded all under sin. The ESV right there is completely different, but it's the same Greek word. The scripture imprisoned everything under sin. King James concluded ESV imprisoned. Concluded really is imprisoned. And look at the end of verse 23 there in the King James. Shut up unto the faith. ESV were kept in ward under the law. Before faith comes, all are in jail under the penalty of faith. Before faith, all are imprisoned. The word concluded and imprisoned, the Greek word there means to be completely shut up like a six-sided jail or like a net that wraps around a fish, how a fish is wrapped up in a net and can't get out. So I brought with me some friends up here and we're going to take these friends as representative of us 
and we're going to put them in jail as representative of us. And I brought with me the six-sided box, and we're going to take and put them in jail. Okay, and they're all locked up. And we're going to put on here law. They are in jail because of the law. And we'll leave them there for a minute. So how does the law completely enclose us? Well, there's one law. Let's take one law. In Exodus 20.13, thou shalt not kill. But as the law of God is further explained to us, it goes much deeper than these Ten Commandments. It goes straight to our heart as Jesus taught us in Matthew 5.21. You have heard of it, it was said of them of old, thou shalt not kill, and whoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. Whoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of counsel. But whoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. In 1 John 3.15 Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Have we always denied ourselves and always laid down our lives for each other perfectly? Has everyone here always perfectly loved in word and deed and truth? Is there anyone here who is perfect? We are all under the law imprisoned the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and holds it before my face as a mirror and I see my dirty sin and then I promise myself that I'm going to start doing better but I fail and the jailer comes along again and says you can't do better you can't change yourself without Christ and I find myself locked up in jail with no personal ability to escape and finally, the law points me back to Christ by faith. So how do our people escape our jail of the law? So we're going to take on our jail, and we're going to put on here the word faith. And we're going to take and cut a hole in this box. Take my pocket knife, handy to any pocket knife. And we're going to cut the door that's called faith. And it's by the door of faith that our people can escape out of their jail. We come to the third purpose of the law in verses 24 and 25. The law redirects away from the sin. So the law reveals sin, it restrains sin, 
and redirects away from sin and toward faith. The law is a schoolmaster against sin. And the word translated as schoolmaster or tutor is a role that we don't have in our society. It is a person that in our society might be a little bit like a, a nanny and a guardian with a little bit of a tutor mixed in with that. In the Greek culture, a family would hire a person to take children to a schoolmaster, to school, a tutor, and their job was to make sure they didn't get distracted along the way or fall into trouble on their way to school. And it's not referring to the person who does the tutoring or instructing. It's the person who makes sure the child doesn't get sidetracked on the way to being instructed. The law redirects us away from sin and towards faith as a dis disciplinarian. The guardian's job was not to grow up the child, but to protect the child so the child could grow up and stay out of trouble. The law protected and disciplined the nation when it was given until Jesus came and fulfilled the law so that the Old Testament Jew the law was a mirror to reveal sin and a jailer to confine and a guardian to protect the people until they could be justified by faith. So think about, I'll tell you a story here, think about going to a bowling alley and you have a little child with a ball and the little child's going to shove the ball down the bowling alley. What's going to happen with an untrained child throwing a ball down the aisle? Goes to the gutter. Every time, time after time. And that's all that this child can do with the ball is get it to the gutter. So what do you do as a parent? You go get the gutter guards to come up and then the ball kind of bounces down towards, towards the pins. And the child tries again and this ball makes it down to the pins. Think of the gutter guards as the law that directs the bowling ball towards faith. The law is a schoolmaster like the gutter guards to show us how to get to faith. Not only does Paul explain to us the three purposes of the law, he's going to explain to us the right attitudes to have towards the law. There's three attitudes he's going to give us. Two are wrong and one is correct. The first attitude is given to us in verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? Is the law against the promises of God? What's he asking? Is the law our enemy? Is it against what God wants? Is it our enemy? Is it fighting against us? God forbid is the answer. The first attitude that is incorrect is that of a person who says the law is against the promises of God. The fancy word we have for that is antinomian. And antinomian says the law is my enemy. Anti meaning against, nomos meaning the law. An antinomian is a person who sees law as an enemy and says the law is against the promises of God. And this is a clear statement given by Paul, is that the law against the promises of God, God forbid. The second attitude is given to us in verse 25. After that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. The second attitude that is incorrect 
is that the person who says after faith has come, the law is still my master. The law still needs to rule me in every way. We call that person a legalist. And Paul says that's wrong. As children of God, the law is not our master. God himself is our king. And so while the antinomian says the law is my enemy, the legalist is saying the law is my master, both are wrong approaches to the law. To the mature Christian who says the law is, my is not my master, the law is not my enemy, what purpose does the law serve? What purpose does the law serve? And this question is the answer. What purpose does the law serve? The law is my servant. It serves me. It can reveal sin. Sorry. The law serves me by reminding me of my need to repent and pointing me to faith in Christ. But that is all the law can do. If you make it your master, it can reveal your sin, but it cannot remove your sin. A mirror can show me that my face is dirty. It can reveal who I am, but the law cannot remove who I am. The law can restrain me, but it cannot redeem me. The law can be a jailer to confine me, but it cannot change me. Laws don't change us. We have laws against reckless driving. When did a law against reckless driving ever eliminate reckless driving? We still have it. Laws can confine and restrain, but they cannot change us from the inside out. The law can protect a child, but it does not make this child grow up. It protects the child while he grows up so that God's grace can change him from within. The law can protect us, but it cannot perfect us. The law can reveal sin, but it cannot remove sin. The law can restrain us, restrain sin, but it cannot redeem us from our sin. The law can change us, but it cannot change us. And we know all about, we sung about the hymn, My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Unless we're convicted by the law, we won't be converted by grace. To God's mature children, the law is a servant to us that points us to God's grace. Contrast doesn't always mean conflict. And, and sometimes it means cooperation. The law prepared the way for grace. And there is much grace seen in the law. And the law is fulfilled in grace. Both the law and grace came from God and they don't compete with each other. God was glorified in the giving of the law and God was also glorified in the grace given at Calvary through Christ. Both law and grace center in Jesus Christ. He was made under the law. He said, I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. He lived under the law. God's standard of righteousness still stands. Be ye holy, for I am holy. 
Titus 2.11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. Grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Romans 8.4. The righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And as we walk in the spirit, the spirit of God uses the word of God to produce the righteousness of God in us. Little children need a master to guide them to maturity. But mature people can be trusted with a servant to properly use the servant. And God has given us the law as our servant to point us to faith in Christ. Let's pick up now in verses 25 through 29. Faith, the end of the law. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. You are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And I've used the word mature Christian several times, a couple times. And that thought comes from verse 26 there. The world for children in that verse is not for little ones, but mature ones. Those that have received the inheritance. For you are the mature sons of God by faith. When God gives us, saves us, he adopts us and gives us mature privileges of his family through grace as we live by faith. Now the law separated Jews and Gentiles. Grace doesn't do that. The law separates men from women. Grace doesn't do that. The law separated slaves from free people. Grace doesn't do that. The law separated rich from poor people. And grace doesn't do that. Grace says we are all one in Jesus Christ. When we are in God's family, we are also in Abraham's family. We are living by promise. We are not living by laws of punishment. Little children live by laws. You can't explain to a two-year-old the dangers of playing in the street. The highway seems like a great place to ride my tricycle. It's got pretty yellow lines down it. But as a child matures, instead of giving laws of punishment for going near the highway, he begins to understand the promise. If you don't play in the highway, I promise a truck won't run you over. How do we fail as areas, as parents in these areas of law and grace? I'm do, I've done it. I'm sure maybe you've done it as parents. Child, obey your parents. Thou shalt do your chores or else. If you don't obey me, you'll be sorry. And we teach our children to live by law. Then when they grow up, they're tempted to throw off laws or feel guilty or rebel or to see God as someone waiting there to zap them. How do we learn to live by grace and faith? Remember how we started with God's promises to Abraham and God's laws to Moses? 
God's promises start with, I will. And the law starts with, thou shalt. What are the I wills of God? There's several of them. You'll probably think of many more. Jeremiah 24, 7. I will give them in heart to know me, that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And they shall return unto me with their whole heart. In Jeremiah 32, 38. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart. Ezekiel eleven twenty nine. I will give them one heart, and I will put my, a new spirit within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Are we new creatures in Christ? 2 Corinthians 5.17 If we are in Christ, we are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We can live our lives in our families as three different ways. As a legalist, there's laws without any grace. As an antinomium, we don't attempt to restrain our children with the attitude that laws are bad like Eli did in 1 Samuel 3.13. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. Use the law as a servant to guide ourselves and others towards faith. Thou shalt, and if you ask, God will change our wicked desires and give us a new heart that wants to obey and has the ability to obey. God is willing to give us a new heart with new desires and the ability to live by faith. Have you asked God to give you a new heart? Have you asked God to give us the grace to live by faith? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that instructs us about the law and the grace and what you have done for us, about your promises that you gave to Abraham. Thank you for being so gracious of a God to grant us a Savior. Grant us the grace to serve Christ and to follow you in all things. In his name, amen.